0: Hello, everybody. Before we jump into today's episode, we have two sponsors we want to say thank you to for supporting this show. The first one is Routine. You guys have heard me talk about Routine, honestly, back from the early days of the podcast, and it's still a product I use every single morning. They have a prompt for me here. I'm going to do a little impromptu on this ad read today because, honestly, this is a product that I truly believe in, and so I'm I'm just going to tell you guys exactly what I think and why. First and foremost, um, this is a stat that they shared, but when you sleep, you lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water. And most of that's just sweating while you sleep. Um, I used to not know if that was actually true, to be honest. I felt like a pound to a pound and a half of water seemed like quite a bit while I slept. But the one thing I did constantly pay attention to when I started using routine was just the fact that before using routine, I always felt a little dehydrated in the morning, and and I'm one of those people that when I get up, I get up really early. Usually, I work out. one of the One of the first things I do is some form of fitness. It's just like what I do before everyone's awake, and so it's very easy for me to grab a coffee, you know, pre workout, an energy drink, something with caffeine in it, and just go. When I am good about using routine first, I basically take they come in these little single serve packets. Um, they contain half an organic lemon. A tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and they have no sugar in them at all. A lot of hydration products are going to have sugar, so one of the things routine, one of the things about routine that I love is that there's no sugar in there. Um, So when I am good about doing this consistently, I will take one of those single serve packets, I'll throw it in my mixer bottle, and whether I also put in a pre workout or something with caffeine, or I just drink that separately, I try to drink that first. And the days I do that, I do genuinely feel hydrated, and just have a different form of clarity all morning. A lot of people have tried to make their own homemade versions of routine, right? You see people making, they take a a shot of the apple cider vinegar and they put a little sea salt, a little lemon in a drink. This is essentially that, but in a product that you can take with you on the go, have it ready for you first thing in the morning. I know me personally, when I'm groggy rolling out of bed, the last thing I want to do is you know, squeeze a lemon, cut lemons up go get the apple cider vinegar, find my sea salt. I just rip this packet open, throw it in my water, drink it, and it's good to go. You can try yours today. If you haven't tried it yet and you've been listening to this podcast for years, just try the damn routine. Give it a shot. You can use code ShaneWhite30 and get 30% off your first order. So You get 30% off by using code ShaneWhite30 and go to YourRoutine.com to make it even easier, I've added the link to yourroutine.com in the show notes, so just click on the show notes for this episode, click on the link to yourroutine.com and don't forget to use code SHANEWHITE30. All right guys, today's episode is also brought to you by brought to you. It's brought to you by NeuroRoast. Again, I'm going to go a little off script here. NeuroRoast is a product that I also came across during this year of 2023. They are a a coffee brand, coffee company that's helping you optimize your brain function and overall well-being. This is another product that, to be honest with you, when I first started working with it, I was a little on the fence. I was like, do I really want to have mushrooms in my coffee? Well, folks, I will tell you, when I use NeuroRoast, one of the things that has stood out to me the most is in, well, I'll back up. People that know me know that I have way too much caffeine, typically. One of the things this year I've done a good job of is cutting out alcohol. Not completely, but predominantly i don't touch a lot of alcohol anymore what i think i've actually done the other way though is added a lot more caffeine so i don't i do definitely drink too much caffeine that's something i need to work on next year is to try to minimize how much of that but neural is something that has actually helped me because of the way they've formulated their coffee like unlike regular coffee which is you know still something i consume but neural specifically um doesn't cause jitters or crashes. Mushroom coffee provides a more balance and sustained energy, allowing you to stay focused and productive throughout the day. So the times I do use Neuro Roast, I'll be honest, I, I just don't feel that jittery, like Ugh, I'm jumping out of my chair or standing here at my desk, jumping around feeling. So give Neuro Roast a try. They have some really good flavors. I'll be honest too. The two guys that started Neuro Roast are just really good, really good dudes based out of New York and uh, they're hustling and and hopefully they can they can get some People to try Neuro Roast this holiday season um, by listening to this podcast. So, for you folks who've been on the fence, I'm telling you, it tastes delicious. They've done a fantastic job of making this coffee not only be functional, but taste fantastic. And if you want to try Neuro Roast, you can use code Shane White. So, it's super simple, just Shane White at checkout. Um, you'll also get 30% off. So, if you go to neuroroast.com, and once again, I have added that to the show notes. So just click into the show notes. While you're listening to this episode, you can click on NeuroRoast link directly. Don't forget to use code just Shane White and you'll get 30% off your order. Um, hope you guys love both these products. I'm trying to not only bring you guys products that I use, but that I believe in on the podcast. Um, I'm not taking ad reads for any brands that I don't really believe in. So anyway, hope you guys love both those products, yourroutine.com and neurorose.com. I've added those links to the show notes. I hope you guys love it. And I got an awesome guest coming up right after this. everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Shane White Show. I am pumped today to have Leslie Danford from Vitaminis on the podcast. Leslie, thank you for coming on the show. How are you?
1: Good. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. I, we were talking before, Scavuzzo's been on here a few times, and whenever he introduces me to someone, I get that that's like, hurry up and get him to the front of the line. I love to, yes. I, anyone <laughs> that knows Mike, I, I trust and believe in, So That's <laughs> I awesome, say that. I got to the Shout front out of the line. Mike. I love it. Shout out to Mike. Yeah, if there was a line, that's funny. Um, for everyone listening, would you mind, Leslie, giving everyone just a little bit of an intro into you and the brand, of course?
1: Yeah. So, Leslie Danford. I, my background, I've always been really interested in nutrition. I'm one of these people that believes food is health, food is medicine. Like what you put in is what you get out. Um, and I have more of a traditional background. I actually worked in the beverages industry for several years in the alcoholic beverages industry, but while I was a health nut, um, and I started thinking about ideas while I was working there about, you know, nutrition. We see all this research coming in around functional beverages, better for you, clean label nutrient dense products, ready to drink. And I just was taking notes because so I was like, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna act on any of this stuff here in the alcohol industry, but somebody should. And it kind of coincided with my personal background and interests. So that went on for years and years. But it, it didn't I didn't get around to starting the company until 2020 when I had moved to a hotel business, which mm. ended up getting shut down during the pandemic. So I was kind of thrown out of my routine, busy, busy, you know, traditional working routine. And it all kind of came together. I was trying to meet all our nutritional needs for myself, my family, talking to friends about how to make sure our immune systems were ready to go to get back to in-person stuff. Um, and had all that research that I'd been writing down. And like one day I was like, oh, this is what the world needs. Something that's clean, natural, food-based, but delivers the nutrients that can be really hard to get to just make sure you're functioning at your best.
0: Love that. And, and for you, it sounds like this was something that you've been interested in, in a long time. So yes. when, when did like getting into health, nutrition, focusing on that, for lack of better words, when did that all start? Like how long ago do you think you really started oh my taking gosh. that seriously?
1: Probably back to my childhood, to be honest with you. So growing up, um, my dad was kind of in charge of meals and he does not know how to cook. and <laughs> He's like a scientist. So it would oh, okay. be like, Okay, we need a meat and a veggie. And it was like a math problem, you know, like your meals, are like all these components. And so that's how I always grew up thinking about food is like, okay, your body needs this, this, and this, and your meals, you know, you can plan them out to get it all in. Um, and my husband makes fun of me cause he is a foodie and he cooks and makes delicious stuff, but he's like, don't you care about the taste? I'm like, yeah, but it's like, you know, um, so I think that's like when it started and I've always kind of thought that way and, and thought about my own nutrition that way. And then when I had kids thought about their nutrition that way, but like I said, it really took getting laid off for me to actually make it into my career or my actual, mm. you know, day job. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, all the way back to a kid, I would say.
0: That's wild. Yeah. It's funny how sometimes the adversity of getting laid off, I, I know so many people who that it, that's finally what it took for them to be like, all right, fuck it. Like I'm going <laughs> to do what I've wanted to do. You know what I mean? Um, so interesting. So for you, I mean, if you, if you go back to the beginning, I love to kind of start from the, the zero to one. You, you are obviously interested in health and nutrition. You think that this, there's a product out there that should be brought to the mass market. Like, I, I think, and I've talked to people on this podcast for so long now, like, that's ob- obvious. Like, so many people have ideas like that. Very few actually get to where you are today. So, could you, for everyone listening today, kind of walk us back to, like, what was step one for Leslie? Like, you have this idea, great, but like, you're talking about launching a brand, building a product. Do you remember yeah. back to like, what were like some of the first days sitting in front of a laptop or in the kitchen or what, what were some of the very beginning components of this?
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's funny when you said like, take me back to the beginning. The other thing I didn't mention that's even before that is I had always thought that someday I wanted to start a company. Oh, and okay. so when I was a little kid, I would borrow money from my mom and like set up these little business things. Like one story she loves to tell when I was seven, I like drew a picture book with my pencils. And then I borrowed money from her to make copies of it. I think it was like 10 Mm. cents a copy in those days. And then I was out on the corner selling them. Um, So I always kind of had that. Then I met my husband in college. We were both in this group called the Chicago Entrepreneurial Group. And it was all about like business ideas. And we would take part. We were the undergrad at University of Chicago. But we would take part in the alumni and the student new venture challenges at the business school. Uh, And my husband went on to pretty much be an entrepreneur right away. But I got on this like traditional track business um, background, but I always had that in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, But then fast forward. So it's funny you were saying it takes getting laid off. It actually took even more than that for me because I got laid off and I went directly into job searching mode where I was like, what's my next gig? What's my next gig? But because it was COVID, no one was hiring, nothing was happening. So it was like six months of kind of looking around and having conversations and nothing was happening. That really pushed me then to say, like, okay, maybe I need to create my own something to do for myself. Um, so, but even then, it wasn't like I'm going to stop working and start a business. It was more like, well, I've got nothing else to do, you know, and I had gotten my kids into some activities. And so they, because their daycare was closed for a while, I was oh, just like sure. handling kids. But once we got our routines, had child, some childcare lined up. I was still job searching. I had some time on my hands. That's when I really started tinkering with the ideas. And once the Vitamin E's idea got into my head, I think even then, if you had said, okay, are you going to start this company? I'd be like, whoa, 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 that's a big risk, you know? So it started with very, very small steps. So the first one was just um, interviewing a lot of friends and family. I like wrote up an interview script. So it was like, yeah, I know we're friends and we usually just chit chat, but now I'm going to interview you. And like, what are some nutritional challenges you have? What are some. Complaints you have about what's out there. What do you struggle with? And I did probably fifty of those. Oh wow! So that was a good exercise because it was free. Really, did you, it was at just this, time. At this
0: point, did you have the idea for vitaminis or you were just generally curious on what people? A little need?
1: bit, I okay. did. So I had this idea for like a clean food-based or clean beverage-based, like food, like whole food-based delivery mechanism for nutrition. But I didn't know it was going to be a shot. I didn't know it was going to be immune support necessarily. Um, it was just like a concept and so the Mm -hmm. interviews helped me narrow in on like uh what do people look for on labels like what format is most convenient like how do i solve some of the complaints with what people have and with what's out there some of which i also had like gummy vitamins full of sugar you know pills make me nauseous that kind of thing um so i did like 50 of those interviews and that was a really easy first step because it was completely free completely low risk i wasn't committing to anything um but at the same time, although it was low risk, it still felt like I was putting myself out there a little bit. Right. Oh, I'm People sure. People set up a yeah. call and be like, I think I might do something, you know, which now given all the risks I've taken, I'm like, that was nothing.
0: <laughs> but it's funny, right? It's all perspective. What I heard this saying the other day, it was the hardest thing you've ever done is the hardest thing you've ever done. And it's so true because, right, like now looking backwards, you're probably like, Duh, I should do that all the time. I should keep doing stuff like that. Right. right. Like for someone who's never launched anything. It feels like you're so totally putting yourself out there. I know. I don't know totally. if I've ever talked about it on the podcast before. My very first business endeavor was right out of college. Me and a colleague there launched, like, essentially, a clothing company online, like back in the early Shopify days. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. Like, we, I mean, just in hindsight, didn't know what we were doing, right? Like, I had no clue. We weren't even doing like, like Meta Facebook marketing, nothing. We were just posting it on our own personal pages, which had like you know a few hundred people following us. But it's so funny and so true, right? Like. When you don't have the experience, those first steps sometimes feel enormous, especially if you're asking a friend. Oh
1: yeah. yeah, you feel like you're exposed or something. Even just like thinking that you might start a business, it's like, well, who am I to start a business? It's so, it's so weird. Well, and for it's you, what was,
0: was the goal to get, because this is so curious, and I feel like for people listening who want to start something, this is a great idea. If you, if you were to go and you asked 50 or so people, you said, mm-hmm. if you would have gotten horrible feedback across 50, what would you think you would have done? Well, you, I'm assuming and I'm assuming you got some pretty decent feedback to help you yes, drive. But, but you know
1: what? I didn't tell them my idea. That's the thing. Because I've heard you shouldn't Smart. actually go take your idea and shop it around and get votes because yeah, you might get really discouraging feedback. What I was actually interviewing was more like tell me about your nutritional perspective. What are your challenges? What do you like about what's out there? What do you not like? So it was more like market research. It was not taking a poll on my idea
0: ah. at all. Smart. Okay. So it was just getting, yeah. Okay. So you knew it, the feedback from that could either drive you towards what you were building or maybe, maybe make tweaks, but it wasn't specific. I like that.
1: Yes, because it's true. Once I did have a concept, you know, I did get some feedback on it and a lot of it was kind of like, oh, I don't know about this or whatever. And like, it is hard in those early days when you, you it, I think it's rare in the early days for anyone to be like, yes, this is going to be big. You know, it's always like feedback. And so it can be really hard to kind of persist when you're getting that. Like you want to listen to the feedback because you can learn from it, but you also can't let it like stop you.
0: <laughs> right, 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 right. And, and so you get feedback, you're doing all that is, is the next step. where you kind of like playing around with this in your kitchen? Or like how okay, you start so the product yeah, side? that's a
1: good, it's a good transition. So the interesting thing about beverages, which is kind of where my direction was taking me through all these interviews. And my background, so I think part of this was I had worked in beverages, even though it was alcohol is different. um, I knew about beverage marketing and the the industry overall, and sales and that kind of thing. So once I started getting towards beverages, it's not really something that you can do in your kitchen, really. Um, Particularly in this case, because I'm mixing in like vitamins and nutrients and stuff. It's not like you can go to the grocery store and buy that stuff necessarily. Um, And then also the other route, I think a lot of businesses start with is these uh contract kitchens or whatever they're called those share kitchens can't yeah. we do that either because they don't really have like production lines that can bottle things so i had to sort of jump a little bit like make a bigger jump mm-hmm. um but i did that by engaging in the startup community and getting a lot of feedback around who's like a scrappy quick and dirty food scientist kind of person who can help me come up with a formula um And just like, or even I think in the initial stages, it was like, who could I even just chat with about this, see if it's even doable, you know? Right, right. So that's really where I started. I looked for someone that had the expertise, and it was like, let's just chat about what's doable and get their thoughts, without again necessarily committing a ton of money or anything like that.
0: Okay, well, it's smart. It sounds like your your background and your time at U Chicago and getting involved with some different entrepreneurship groups in Chicago actually paid off in the early. Oh yes, Yeah. yeah,
1: the groups especially. Um, I was in startup CPG. I don't know if you've, oh,
0: yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think now they have 30,000 members or something. And so it's one of those things where somebody out there has dealt with what I'm dealing with at any time. Right. And I, and I likewise can share my expertise. So it's like just a quick note on the Slack channel. Hey, is anyone ever, does anyone know anyone or whatever? And I had a bunch of leads there. So that was great. And those groups have really served me still to this day.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. 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 I was going to say startup CPG. I know it's great. I used to be we use Slack so much for, for our businesses and clients now that uh, I had to quiet. I think I actually like, took it off my main Slack because it was just it was too busy for me. But I know it's just like a, a plethora of information. That's probably a great – that's one we haven't talked about on this podcast, shockingly enough. So anyone out there who's trying to start a food or beverage brand, that's a great, great group to get involved with. They're awesome. Yes. Um, so you, you jumped straight from idea to essentially a commercial kitchen. Then or like a commercial? Well,
1: this, yeah. So I found somebody who is a form, technically, I guess you call him a drink formulator, but his background is a little bit of food science and also understanding production methods, like what ingredients would go well together to be shelf stable and that kind of thing. So for a nominal amount of money, I engaged him on a formula. And at this point, based on all of the input that I had gotten from my interviews, I had a better idea of what I wanted. I knew I, I wanted to do immune support because this was during COVID. Like that's mm-hmm. all anyone wanted to talk about, even though my original thought was the gut health, actually, the other okay. product.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it
1: was like, everyone wants immune support. So I knew I wanted clean label, beverage, immune support. And that's kind of it. And actually working with that formulator got me to the shots. Originally, I thought it might be a full-size beverage or a juice box or something like that. And I kind of narrowed in on shots in order to make e-commerce more Um, economical
0: makes sense. and then
1: um, he also helped me figure out the packaging the production process and a lot of the kind of next steps from a technical production standpoint
0: okay and to get all of this I mean I'm assuming do you have to is this someone you have to bring in as like a partner into the business or is this no no
1: it was it was I paid him a project fee okay and it was it was small I mean not everything's relative but in the grand scheme of things it was a small amount where When I paid it, I thought even if this amounts to nothing, it's okay.
0: Yeah, you know, I would. It's not like I want to throw this
1: money away, but it's not going to make or break. It's a, it's a, it's a tiny little investment to test. It felt like it was more testing at that
0: point. Right. And for you and everyone's got a different, you know, phase in life when they want to start an endeavor or a business. For you, did you did you have to raise any friends or family to try to bootstrap this? How did you kind of get it off the ground, even to get the funds for this?
1: Yeah. So I was lucky enough to. Fund it myself in the beginning right. um, and I start so I had like a very traditional career for a long time I went to business school I think I was in like I'm fifteen years out of business school now, so I think I was in a little bit of a different position than a lot of entrepreneurs and that I had some savings I had the ability to take some time off work and and do this but it's it is interesting because it does change things right mm-hmm. um, and there's pros and cons I mean on the the pro side of bootstrapping bootstrapping I think can be misleading because it sounds like the money, the, the money's like coming in and you're making it work. No, you're just putting your money out. there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. right. You're just, so you're, on the yeah, pro side,
1: you don't, you're in complete control, right? It's like, you can start, you can stop, you can do whatever you want. You can spend more, you can spend no more. Um, You don't have to answer to anyone. You have to explain yourself. That's all good. On the con side of things, you're not getting a lot of the feedback and engagement that you might get with some outside investors. Along with sort of confidence building, I think bringing in outside money gives you some sort of feeling like, oh, other people also believe this is possible or believe in me or whatever. And when it's just you spending your money, you're like, is is it possible? I don't know. So,
0: That's an interesting perspective. Yeah
1: yeah so it's just it's just more data like more data because when you're a solo founder especially bootstrap solo founder you're literally just 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 you there's no one else (laughs)
0: there's no one else it's a lonely trail yeah i always wonder you know times are changing so much and it was funny i had never been in food and beverage before our x bar and so my time at our x bar and just seeing what they did when i left there i remember being like oh why would anyone do anything except try to just Bootstrap centrally. right? That was always my mentality. And then as I've gotten more and deeper and deeper into this industry, I'm like, oh, well, there's so many reasons why you wouldn't do that, right? Um, but it's really interesting that you you were able to start that way, and then it sounds like you've you've taken on some since then.
1: Yes, I have taken on friends and family, angel type money yeah. at this point. But I can see that I will need more financing to get to the next level. And it's funny because I'm a little familiar with the RX Bar story, but a lot of this. Some of it is like you don't know what you don't know, um, but the cash flow problem and how you kind of set up your different channels and what customers you bring on when and whether they pay you up front or not has such a big impact. Um, And for me, I started with e-commerce, which was great because you get paid up front by people and whatever, but it's small. You know, it's very incremental. You get a customer, another little customer, another little customer. Um, and then when I got into retail, I went more traditional retail through a distributor where you've got 30 day terms and you have to kind of produce the inventory and then put it out there. So it does become very cash intensive in that mm-hmm. environment.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I, uh, it's, that's really cool. You started in e-com. I'm very, very obviously um, biased because I, that's, I, I live in e-commerce. That's like what we do uh, for, for my full-time gig. And so I think it's really interesting when brands do that. I mean, that's what I always talk, when I talk about our XR, I, I do think that was one of the key things was just building this really healthy e-com base. It solves a lot of problems when you go to retail, right? Because it also allows you to kind of push back and be like, well, we have this huge e-com business. Why do we need to go into X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting. And so for you, I mean, we skipped over a little bit. So you, you actually create the product. Was there The one thing with beverage I'm always interested when I've talked to beverage founders, it seems like the cash... And just the overall investment to get the product ready to sell is so much more than I would say most food products. I don't know if that's mm. always true in shops for what you're doing, but was that something like, did you, did you have like one product run in one iteration and it was good to yes. go and you started selling it?
1: Yes. Um, and you're right. Because, and the reason for that, I think, at least from what I can tell from my experience is that these production um, facilities have minimum orders because they're producing like, you know, big runs all day for these big brands and for you to come in, they have to stop the other production, clean out their lines, set your thing up, all the back and forth about the ingredients and set it, but it's like a huge investment. And so they don't want to do that and then just make you like a hundred bottles,
0: right. you know? Yeah. So
1: um, that was actually a really big challenge. So I had a couple of challenges. So I got the formula, like that was a small investment. And then I had basically what I had coming out of that was a recipe and I had tasted it. So I had like samples and a recipe. That's it.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Um, and the recipe comes with all the suppliers, right? Like here's, here's where I'm going to get all the juices and whatever. Um, and I knew what bottle I was going to use and all that, but then I had to find someone that could make it. And what I found a couple of like unique challenges to shots. One is there are a lot of shot producers, but a lot of them are fresh pressed juice. Mm. So there's, if you're making a fresh pressed shot, you have a lot of options. Um, and if you're making a full size shelf stable beverage, you have a lot of options. But if you want a shot bottle and have it be shelf-stable, there really aren't that many options. So I combed through tons of databases, including from Startup CPG and elsewhere, of beverage co-packers made, I don't know, probably 50 or 75 outreaches to different production plants and had calls and emails to filter, filter, filter. Eventually, I think it got down to maybe five co-packers that could make a shot-sized shelf stable beverage then it, you get to the point of negotiating minimum orders um will they take a chance on you like do they actually it, it was much more of a sales process than i thought it would be
0: oh, i thought that, it was like yeah. oh
1: i have this great idea who wants to do it and it's like i actually to pitch these people why they should believe in me why this was going to be big someday why should they should bother producing it wow so that was a lot of work and then oh i can imagine yeah that, like that took months, like probably three or four months while I was doing that. I was also building the website and figuring out that kind of side of things. And then it, and once I found the right co-packer, I did get them to a, a, a quantity that was reasonable, but you still have to pay for the juice, the bottles, and the run. So it is like a big chunk
0: yeah. of change. And when you give that big chunk and you spend all this time pitching and narrowing down and aligning with someone to be your partner, At this point, do you like my challenge? When I've always thought through any of these business models, is did you did you have some consumers already in some way, shape, or form? Nope. (laughs) So yeah, so I think beverage with a lot of people, and I I I I wonder how many people listening to this have ever thought about this. Like for Leslie and as a company, like the investment and time and energy just to get the product ready. To then you're like, I hope. Other people will buy this. It's pretty immense, right? I mean, I'm sure that that was a stressful time.
1: Yeah. And that kind of goes back. I mean, there's pros and cons again of bootstrapping. On the plus side, what comforted me was, well, the whole thing flops. At least I don't have to explain to like grandma Jean why I like lost all of her <laughs> life savings. But on the other hand, it's like, again, you're just it's your your money, like literally taking it mm-hmm. out of your bank account, spending it on something that might go nowhere. But the one thing I will say though is um I had all these interviews that I'd done. So I knew based on speaking to all these people that there was interest in something like this. Right. So that made me feel good about it. Um, And also I knew because the order quantity was small enough that I could make tweaks. This wasn't like the end all be all. It has to be perfect. And I actually made several big tweaks after that first run. I changed the formula. I changed the packaging um, quite a bit.
0: And what did you do with that product from the first run? so
1: So the first product it was essentially the same, vitamin E's mean support, but um, the package, so now you can see I have like these fruits on it. My original package had like leaves and rocks, which I thought looked really pretty, but like that doesn't communicate anything with the flavor, which uh. I mean, I came from the beverage industry, so it's like embarrassing that I made that mistake. But hey, oh, live
0: I'm, But you know, it's funny though. You were probably never in a position before where you actually had to like be the final person to make that call and then right? hit, hit go, right? So it was Right, a less so of it.
1: yeah. You know, looking back, it's like, well, that was embarrassing, but no one cares. Mm -hmm. Just fix it. Um, And then the other thing was the original formula was a little bit sour. Um, It had to do with the balance of the juices and whatever. So I did get a lot of feedback on that initial product that it didn't taste that good, Mm. which again, back to your point about feedback, I could have, at that point, I could have been like, oh, doesn't taste good. That's it. I'm done. Didn't spend that much. That's it. I give up. But it's like, okay, or you can just. Iterate on the formula, change the packaging, do another small run, try again, which is what I ended up doing.
0: Yeah. I was going to say it's, it's always probably there's, there had to have been, and this is just one example. There probably had, have had, a, there's been so many situations I'm assuming for you where you could have easily hung it up and been like, oh, I don't want to stop anymore. Yeah. So many. So you, and- you, as you reiterate that or like re you change in the packaging or changing the product, even like, I guess the sour part, Leslie, how, how did you go? Like, I'm sure your co-packer, you know, you get some of the products and then is it up to you then just to figure out why it's sour? Like, do they, are they really involved yeah. or, or anything in that?
1: That's an interesting balance because I do think once you have an established relationship and a, a good chunk of business with a co-packer, they're willing to invest time with you on formulation. But in the beginning they still don't really know me and there's still, it's still like they're, they're putting themselves out for me basically. So I can't ask a lot of favors. Yeah. Um, so now my co-packers I've worked with a long time, would probably be like, oh, let's work together. You can use our lab. and But at that time, I didn't really have that leverage with them. So I went back to the original formulator that I had hired and I negotiated paying him just a little bit more to help me tweak it. So it wasn't like we we're starting over with a completely new formula. We were going to do a few sam- like tweaked samples with his expertise. So that's what I ended up doing. Um, but now I probably would just go with my co-packer.
0: Okay. No, that makes sense for someone who's new and trying to get into it. So you you do that do you did you end up selling the first product did you end up selling yes. it in turn yeah okay that's good well that's
1: the other thing that i think is is like back to the putting yourself out there i remember when i made that first batch and i like put it out i like put it on my social media put it on amazon and it was like ah, this is so terrifying like what if people drink it and they get sick or they don't like it or whatever like they spit it out or they you know all these things and it ended up being fine um you know, I, you have to trust yourself. You're like, well, I did the research. I break it myself. I know what's in there. Um, I vetted my co-packer for quality, you know, it's going to be fine. So, um, I just put it out there and a lot of people actually liked it. Okay. Even yeah. that initial product that didn't have a great package and wasn't perfect flavor. A lot of people liked it, but I did, once I started getting consistent feedback, like a few different points of feedback about the flavor um, and the package, the package feedback, by the way, that came from people that were in like marketing in beverages. It's not oh, like a okay. consumers like, hey, why do I have a rock on here? They're not going to say <laughs> that. But um, once I got the feedback multiple times, it was like, oh, this is something I need to act on.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. That makes sense. So you were able to use the product even with it not being in your mind the perfect Perfect. Of yeah, it. yeah, it's right. like
1: that, what in tech, what do they call it? Like that minimum viable product? It's Yeah, like an MVP. Thing.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wild. So for, for you then you're, as you make iterations, um, are you growing a team too, or is it just you or how, no, how, what, what's this? I will and, and... say for
1: consumer? One of the great things about consumer is, um, the work is very easily outsourced part time. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I still am just the only full time employee. So in the early days I hired someone to help me with like the design, like graphic design on the package and the website and that kind of thing is that's, I might have a vision, but that's not my skill Um, somebody to ha- actually help me set up the Shopify site, which now that I know a little bit more about it, there are probably a lot of entrepreneurs that could just do that themselves, but I didn't, I'm more comfortable now than I was then. Sure. Um, and over time, I now have people helping me with email marketing, um, legal team that I mean, there's like a lot of different functional expertise that you need. Um, But I still haven't hired anyone and it's pretty much fine. It's working out so far.
0: And that stuff, it sounds like something that's easy to gloss over, but I, I do actually think a lot of people who are trying to get an entrepreneurship, all of those little pieces, you know, finance, legal, that stuff is probably overwhelming for most people mm. who just never have tried. How did you go about it? Is that again just like networking and asking, like, "Hey, should I get an attorney?" Like, you know what I mean? Like, I remember when I was going through that. It's it's a challenge. It's, it's one of those things again. Until you know, you don't know. How did you, you know? Think honestly, you could do that?
1: I think a lot of it was like I just did it when I had to do it. I didn't even know I had to do it until something hit me in the face. Like I think um, setting up on Amazon forced a lot of like incorporation formality. Fast forward several months, somebody was like, oh, you have product insurance, right? I was like, oh man, no, I don't have product insurance. I never thought about that.
0: Right. So I got to go yeah. get
1: that done. Thank goodness nothing happened before I got that. I like just, so a lot of it is like scrambling because I think if you were to actually try to map out every little thing, you would never get, I mean, it would be so overwhelming Yeah, and so time consuming. So there's a little bit of like flying by the seat of your pants going on.
0: I I really think there's an opportunity there. I mean, there definitely could already be something similar. I'd be curious if anyone's ever thought about from the CPG industry out of all of us have gone through trying to do some of these things. If anyone's written a book, I've never seen one, but you'd Mm -hmm. think like, even Mm -hmm. if it was like a playbook, like even out of like startup CPG, like, holy cow, there's so much information in there. Someone just wrote that and all the different little things.
1: Oh my gosh. If someone curated all those Slack messages of all the different vendors and oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a a
0: digital playbook for, for anyone who wants to get started. Um, it'd be like an encyclopedia, but so, so for you, you, you launch, what is at at this point, Leslie, for you, like, what is the, what's the strategy for vitaminis? And if, if there wasn't like a true, true strategy, like maybe you have today, that's totally fine too. I'm just more curious. Back then, Yeah. Was it like, I'm going to launch on my own website. I'm gonna launch on Amazon
1: get yes. cash
0: and then re- keep growing like what was kind of the the early strategy of like where you were going to sell it how you're going to keep growing it all that fun stuff
1: yes so that's pretty much it i was like i'm gonna put it on my website i'm gonna put it on amazon i always knew i wanted to prioritize my website because you have the customer data and the interaction but amazon to me especially in this area is like the necessary evil like that's where people go like mm-hmm. so you have to be there so my thought was grow on e-commerce and then expand into retail possibly at some point um in my head, it was like, because I came from a marketing background, I was like, here's how you grow a brand, you know, word of mouth and, um, sampling and like, I'm not going to pay for customers, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but that is a very, very, very slow process. Yeah. So right. I did do that. And it was a lot of sampling events, a lot of word of mouth, a lot of like, um, just getting out there and talking and stuff and, and creating a lot of like, uh, organic social content and that kind of okay. thing. And that is all good. And I'm glad I did that. But that's the part where some other businesses, I know they do that and they just skyrocket out. And in my head, I was like, I'm going to skyrocket out of here. It didn't happen for vitamin E's. I don't, I still can't tell you why that is or isn't. And sometimes I think there's probably luck and timing and different things that come into play. Or maybe in a couple of years, we look back and we're like, no, vitamin E's just wasn't the thing. I don't know. But, um, that was my thought. I was like, I'm going to launch an e-commerce that's going to skyrocket. And after about 18 months, I realized the growth rate was too slow to only rely on that. And so that's when I got into retail, mm. um, to try to kind of scale a little bit faster.
0: Got it. And what was your first retail account?
1: That's a long story, but um, Fresh Time ended up being Fresh Time. And um, wow,
0: that's a that's a big one.
1: Well, it's funny. I went, I applied to Fresh Time, and they rejected me. And then I I think I did get into, meanwhile, I got into one independent retailer near my house. So I kind of had a little bit of that data, but in terms of like any retailer with scales, like I want to get fresh, and I said no. So then I kind of networked, I saw who I knew that might be able to talk to someone and I got a call with someone there and they were like, hey, great product, but like, sorry, we can't take you because we need more data. You're too small and early and all that. And I was like, okay. Um, and it was, there was this like point in time I was like, where do I go from here? You know, I'm like, I have this one account. I really, I, I think this product would be great for fresh time. But they told me no. And I think it was like one day I just didn't have anything going on. I drove to the fresh time near me and I don't even know if I knew going into it exactly what my plan was, but I, I was there, I was looking around at the, at the shelves and the different products. I was like, you know, I'm going to just ask to talk to the manager and, um, met the manager, chatted with him. And he's like, you know, this is interesting. You're like maybe we we could maybe take it in. Like I can make some decisions myself. Doesn't necessarily have to go corporate. I don't know. Let me think about it. I had to go back seven times.
0: Oh and wow. chat with
1: him. So every couple of weeks I'd like happen to be doing my grocery shopping at first time. Like, hey, it's me again, you know, ready to try it yet? He'd be like, Yeah, yeah, I don't know, I'm busy now, I'll come back later, kind of thing. And then after seven times, um, He finally agreed to bring it in. This is like back to your point about like you could give up at any point, right? So I'd already got rejected twice by corporate. Seven more times going to this one store. Finally, he puts it in and they, I don't know if your uh, listeners know Fresh Time, they have these barrels at checkout, like these big tubs. And so we did a dump in, in a barrel at checkout at E's, And it did really well. Like they were moving. And so he's like, oh, this is great. So I'm going to actually send an email to my 10 local um counterparts so it's still not corporate it's like the chicago area stores and i'm just gonna let them know about you so he sent that email no one responded it was like crickets and then i started following up with each store hey did you see this email from um you know this other store i just wondering if i could try so there's like another like 20 follow-ups and so then i'm in 10 stores this is like ta- this is like taking a couple months so i'm like fast okay. forwarding Then literally four months after the initial rejection, corporate pulled some report and vitamin E's was on it. And they reached out to me. They were like, Oh, "Oh, we saw that your product is really moving in these stores. And like, would you be interested in doing the full chain? So it was like one of those moments where you're like, yes, you know, like it,
0: that's crazy,
1: but it took so much legwork, and it sounds great now, but like looking back on it, that's kind of like a one-time thing. I could not do that repeatedly. It was like, It just worked out. But after whatever, four months, Fresh Time did offer me into the full chain. So that's now I'm in full Fresh Time. And then I also, once I got in Fresh Time, I got set up with a distributor, Kehi. Then I was able to get into another account, um, the Fruitful Yield, which is a 12 stores around here too. So those are my two retailers right now.
0: Wow. Okay. And so a question I have to ask is I'm thinking, okay, you get declined twice you go in seven times what was pushing leslie to keep trying for fresh time and not just being like you know what screw it i'm gonna go to whole foods
1: you know i felt like in each interaction there was some sliver of progress right so it's like the manager told me he thought it could be good he's just busy okay well he's just busy i'll try again so it was like it was never like this is never gonna work lady stop you know it was always just like not the right time or um I don't know. It's hard to explain. I think if he had said to me, listen, this is not the product for Fresh Time. Fresh Time shoppers are not going to like this. Mm-hmm. I probably would have moved to a different retailer. But because I had already had several interactions, it felt like moving to a different retailer would be starting over. Whereas I had crawled my way up. and was getting so close. I felt like I was really going to be able to do it eventually. I wanted to get it to the finish line.
0: Love that. Yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, that's, that's just tenacity right there, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're in two retailers now. What is the game plan? You know, if we fast forward one year, two years, I know in, in startup CPG world, two years is basically like oh, three, three, three decades. So not that you need to know an answer to that, but I'm just totally curious for you in 2024, what's, do you have a game plan of where you're trying to expand into this year?
1: Yes. So one interesting learning I had from launching in retail is that my e-commerce business grew with my retail business. So as people saw the product in store, tried it at samplings in the store, then they were going to Amazon, looking me up, or they were coming to my website. So it kind of started crystallizing in my mind that I was going to have to grow these two things together because they work together, right? You can send digital traffic to a store to to drive velocities there. And you can also send people that try one bottle in the store to your website to get on a subscription. Right. Um, so this is like evolving, but I knew I wanted to be omni-channel and now what I'm trying to do now is leverage my data from these couple of, of chains with larger retailers, but I'm very conscious about not wanting to overextend because when I was in beverages, I know how hard it can be to support retail velocities, to make sure the account has the inventory and all the logistics right, and you're doing enough marketing to drive product selling. So. My vision is to take this this traction, launch with a retailer where I can really nurture it and make it successful, but where it has scale potential. So maybe that's launching in the Midwest region of a bigger retailer. I can make the Midwest successful and then expand, or maybe it's a bigger retailer, but I can really just double down my effort to make them successful. Bring out one or two of those in 2024 and then go from there.
0: Love it. No, it's very strategic and I like it a lot. It's... Um slow and steady wins the race and it's funny that you hit on no one's ever said that but I, I know it just from my anecdotal experience uh every time you open up a new retail door it always seems like that benefits e-com especially if you're mm-hmm. already on e-com you have you know best in class and you're and you're kind of humming at rx bar i know we used to always say it was it, if you look back on the trajectory it was wild like every time we had a major retail launch it was just an uptick in amazon and dc i mean it was pretty totally. pretty one-to-one always so And I can expand
1: on that a little bit, with like the tactical things that I'm doing now, because some of it just happens. Like someone sees you and they want to look up your ingredients, they go to your website, whatever. But tactically speaking, a couple things. I'm putting QR codes on my bottles because at the retailer, you're selling singles. So people taste it and then they can come easily over. Um, And I'm always capturing the email addresses. So all the QR codes capture the email and then I can get them into... A funnel where it's like okay you tried one bottle now try a 12 pack if you like your 12 pack now get on a subscription and move people down the value or up the value chain rather so that's one thing the other thing on the email front um collecting emails ruthlessly at samplings so i do a lot of samplings in stores personally and now i have someone helping me with that right or like at an event or maybe i sponsor something so i have some product that is expiring and i'm giving it away um but I'm always, always collecting those emails. So email marketing is a huge bridge for me between um, retail and online, because I heard you have to see a CPG brand seven times before you buy it.
0: That doesn't surprise me. They saw me
1: once, maybe they came to my website once, but unless I have their email address, I've got, I have no way to get them back five more times. So that's huge for me.
0: Love that. I mean, it's very strategic. I love the, the QR code. So when you scan the QR code, does it at prompt you to give your email address? To get yes. It? yes. Yeah. The that. QR
1: code says like, come chat with us or something. And then when you land on the page, it's like, drop your email for a discount on your first product. Um, but I also do have a pop-up on my website. So if you just go to the website from the, sh- like, let's say you're at the shelf, you go to vitamin E's by yourself, you'll still get the email prompt. But all my QR codes from the samplings and the bottles are email capture.
0: Awesome. That's smart. That's super smart. Have you messed with anything with SMS? At oh, all?
1: that just, it's in the back of my mind and I'm torn. I want to, but I don't want to spread myself too thin again. Sure. And I struggle a little bit with SMS personally because I find it intrusive and irritating if it's not done properly. But there are some SMS tactics that are great. So it's like, I don't want to go down that path until I'm sure that I can do it the right way and not tick off all oh my customers. <laughs>
0: I, this is just my perspective. I definitely probably am not the you know the standard here. It's funny. With SMS, every brand that I know that has used SMS has had awesome performance. Like hmm. It seems to work really well. However, just me anecdotally, I've always felt as if I will sign up for SMS services. And then once I'm starting to get a text from you, weekly even, I'm like, okay, this is way too much. And I feel the same way as you. It's like, it's way too... Me too. It's way too close to home. And I'm like, if, I feel like if you say, I don't know. My, my thought has always been if you save it for when you're actually running deals or doing something special. So mm. it's, like you'll, it's almost to the point where you forget. You forget you're on the SMS. And so when you do get it, it's for a good reason to open it and click. And again, that's just me as a one. one. That's, okay. Experience. So it's like a
1: frequency thing. Get deliver all the frequency.
0: Value. I'm the same that's, way with email, but less with email for whatever. I think for email, it's easy for me to just go through all the things I'm not going to open and delete them. For text messages, it always feels like, a, I think it's just like an open delete thing. I don't know, it's like, yeah. like extra steps. There's something weird about it. And also, it's like your wife, your mom, your friend, and I then know. all of a sudden a brand. It's, it is weird. It's like a, it is like it is a strange place to show up. So yeah, I've always I thought know. it's a frequency thing because I do enjoy it. I, I, bite, I feel like I bite on SMS when it's a deal. Like I'm like, oh, I haven't okay. heard from them in forever. I forgot I was on their SMS and they're running a huge deal. Like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll click on this at least.
1: That's really helpful because it, it is tough because it performs so well. I think a lot of people that are supporting SMS and even email, it's like more, the more, the better, more, 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 get them, get them, get them. Yeah. And it's like, however, you know, as a customer, that's annoying. And it's yeah. so true. Like your, your text, yeah. when it is like you're, are yeah. super close family and you see that little reminder thing, you have to click it. Yeah. Great. Maybe that's great for the brand kind of. But then it's like a really fine line there.
0: Yeah. The other thing, and this is a total guess. I've just always wondered being, you know, I'm in the services side of things now. If I'm a brand and I'm paying someone to do my email marketing and SMS, well, if the, if the, if the agency or whoever you're paying the contractor to do the work is only sending one SMS a month, like is it really worth what you're paying them to do? Mm. Probably not. So I've always been on that side. I'm like, I bet it's just because brands are like, they're trying to get their money's worth or having someone do the work. So they just overdo it. Because if you're, like, the agency, you're probably like, well, I, got, I should send at least, you know, so many texts a week to make sure I'm, like, doing good work.
1: Yeah, you well, you no, right?
0: If you put your consumer hat on, you're like, well, that's just annoying. You know what I mean? No, you're <laughs> right. And even as the
1: agency, right? If you're trying to report, like, how many dollars you've driven through SMS or email, the more you send, the more that's going to look like you're adding value. So... Right. That's really interesting it's almost like different incentives, and it's probably on the brand to be the policeman in that case
0: yeah, and again, I'm not an email marketer and don't know how that works in its detail, but I've always thought that as just being a consumer so that's well, helpful it, well, think about that yeah, so, yeah, I will it someday
1: I'm sure, but i I have been collecting um phone numbers, but it's not mandatory when you place an order. email's okay. mandatory, so I have a handful of Phone numbers, but um, it's not the number one strategy right now, which I, every day I'm like, should it be? Should it not? I'm on the fence. I was like that about TikTok. Now I'm on board with TikTok for a while. I, was okay, like, I don't know you? about TikTok. Now it's like, okay, you got to do it. So I'm sure I'll get to that point with SMS too. That's
0: What's your th- early, the reason you know this? I was, we are emailing, I was saying, you're my first podcast at 24. One of my, like for our business, one of our big pillars this year is, is TikTok, actually. Like we're mm-hmm. super bullish on it. I'm actually very bullish today. TikTok shop is so tied to D2C. Mm. But I actually think fast, and this is just, again, I'm going to drop this on the podcast. My, my, my bullish guess this year is by the end of 2024, TikTok shop and Amazon will have figured out a way to work better together because Mm. everyone wants it immediately. And TikTok's all about kind of that instant gratification and the scroll, quick, you know, that whole piece. I'd be blown away if the two of them don't figure out a way. Because if you can swipe up on TikTok shop and it gets to you in two days or less via Amazon, you'd think the two could work together to make something win-win. So that's cool to hear that you're, you're doing that. Are you doing TikTok shop? Are you any of that yet?
1: Not the shop, but I've been doing content and I've been okay. doing it personally. I just like every week throw something up there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, That is really, I got to think about that Amazon prediction because it is interesting, like as a shopper on Instagram, Facebook Facebook is like, now that's no, we're on Instagram now. And it's like, you see the brand, you want to buy it. But then when you click through the website, sometimes you're like, oh, I don't want to set up an account. I don't know who these guys are whatever. Amazon does build that trust factor where it's like instant. However, as a brand, it is a different proposition if you're creating content to drive amazon velocities and you're not yeah. necessarily capturing that consumer relationship it's kind of a right. different
0: that right. is
1: really interesting because that would def- definitely differentiate tiktok from the other platforms
0: you think right and, uh, and again yeah. to- totally just my guess it just seems like it would make a lot of sense for them to to, to create something there um it was funny I, I told this story to a client yesterday who so my wife and my sister my wife is a year younger than me my sister's two years younger than me so they're both, you know, my wife's 31, my sister's about to be, she just turned 30, or about to be, and um, anyway, the uh, Christmas for them too, this year, it was just them, they all both were going back and forth, like, oh, I saw this on TikTok, I use TikTok Shop, like, that's all they bought each other? And wow. I was sitting there on the side, like, wow, th- that's crazy, like, that's they're that into TikTok, that they got a lot of Christmas gift ideas this year from TikTok Shop. So anyway, wow. that, that that's I've been I'm kinda going down a rabbit hole lately of, of trying to learn more and more about the capabilities of it. Because it seems like for brands it, it's gonna be a big move in twenty four, I would imagine.
1: I would think I mean, yeah. It's a good it's a good it's a good prediction.
0: We'll see. We'll see, we'll see. We'll fast forward and have a podcast to the beginning of next year. We'll see if I'm totally wrong. <laughs> um well awesome. So so Vitaminis, obviously in a couple of retailers, you're online. Big plans for this year. Um, for everyone listening, Leslie, you dropped a ton of knowledge today. But if there's one thing since you've started Vitaminis that was like an aha moment, or something that's just the first thing that pops in your head right now that's very memorable that you could share with the audience, is there anything that you would love to share for someone who's also maybe trying to get into CPG and, and yeah. entrepreneurship that would help them?
1: I had two two things. One is just like take tiny tiny steps. You know, like if you don't know what to do, you feel overwhelmed, just take tick- Take that one little tiny next step to learn something, do something, even if it doesn't feel significant. Like everything I've achieved in the last two and a half years is just a sum of a bunch of little tiny things. Um, And the other thing I would say is get out there and connect. I think it's tempting in the beginning to like keep your idea secret and like hide out and think whatever, but that is going to get you nowhere. Like reach out, talk to people, get feedback. Don't be afraid. Um, Those are my two things I can think of.
0: Love that. Love that. And then the, I have two questions to, to end the podcast, Leslie. First one is how you do things. So I, lo- I love this question because entrepreneurs, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the answer that I normally get at the end. So I'm, I'm very curious to hear what you say. But as far as you know, planning business goals, planning personal goals, whether it's big long-term goals, yearly goals, all the way down to just getting shit done today. What does Leslie use? Are you a pen and paper person? Do you have a planner? Mm. Are you an app person? What are, what are some of the tools yeah. that you put around you?
1: Oh, I got a lot of systems. So um, I, on the personal side, I use an app. like It's called Todoist. I think it's just literally like every day mm-hmm. I put in little to-dos, and that's like a lot of like just small personal things. For the business, I like to break things down into bigger chunks. Actually, this is my whiteboard. Oh, cool. On my whiteboard, I have like two or three things per quarter. So it'll be like between now and March, these are the two or three big things. And then from, you know, April through June, here are the two or three things. I like that because I can look at it and be like, okay, take a step back. Like, cause it can get really easy to get overwhelmed with all the things. So I have that whiteboard, but then I also have pen and paper, lots of little things.
0: Got so it. So that's yeah, like yeah. a bunch
1: of different systems.
0: No, that's fine. <laughs> you know, it's funny about the, the, most common answer i get on when i ask that question entrepreneurs is they're like i don't have a process oh Um, really yeah like i have like i know it's like that but you actually have a you have some sort of process i would tell you most i've i've asked would say either zero or they have just pen and paper everywhere pen and paper is pretty common um i like the the big picture though
1: pen and paper is like also organized it's like today
0: that's very organized. I use, um, um, but I'm
1: an ex corporate person, so maybe I'm not your typical entrepreneur.
0: No, that makes sense. I use this thing called a full focus planner. Uh, I started using it when we started our business, and it's it's kind of it's similar. It, it got it, actually what you do behind you, it's very similar. I should uh, I'm actually getting the people that started that on the podcast soon. Oh, uh, nice! I I, so I talk about it way too much to not find out why they started it. So that's really that's cool. Though awesome. I like the I I want to get a whiteboard in my office. Um, I've been thinking about that. I love that because then you can have like, like the quarter big by picture quarter. Stuff. That's really cool. I love that. And it's behind you. So it's like you're being transparent too. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the last one is just source of knowledge, Leslie. So it could be anything, podcast, book, anything you've read or listened to recently that you think the audience would, would, uh, oh, you know, learn from today. I have today. to
1: say, I have to say startup CPG in those groups. And I now have a couple of them. There's also food bevy is another one. Startup CPG, um, But those groups are like my go-to. Because the books are nice, but from a tactical standpoint, they're not going to help that much. They're kind of more like inspirational. Mm -hmm. But when you really need to get something done, someone else has done it before.
0: For sure. No, I love it. I think that's like my big takeaway from the podcast today. I I think for people that want to get in, taking little steps and checking that out. Um, The last question, most important, Leslie, is how can people follow you? Get a hold of you if you if you want to share that and then most importantly the brand how can they interact with the brand try the product all that fun stuff
1: yeah so we're vitaminiesbrand.com all together so come to our website drop your email um any message you send there i'll see but you can reach out to hello at vitaminisbrand.com. um i'd love to hear from you we are also vitaminiesbrand on instagram facebook and tiktok I'm on LinkedIn posting. You can find me there. And then, of course, at Fresh Time and the Fruitful Yield and hopefully another retailer soon.
0: Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, everyone go check them out at Fresh Time, Amazon, D2C. Got to get everyone to try and Well, thank you, Leslie. Thank Appreciate you so it. much. And uh, it was a pleasure getting to meet you and, and learn more about your story.
1: You too. Talk to you soon.